Calvary's hill. He must have seen us in his will and all the pain we would suffer here below. Lord, we've nothing to compare to all the pain he had to bear as Jesus suffered willingly to make us whole as the blood came streaming down from his body to the ground he was so weak from all the wounds he had received and when the crowds began to yell underneath his leg he fell and once again he was striped for you and me and by his stripes we are healed hallelujah he was abused for our iniquity so if by faith we touch the blood Jesus shed with so much love by his stripes we are healed if we Jesus died for you and me on that day at Calvary and all the love mortal man can't understand but his blood he shed for me covers all iniquity as he hung there on the cross to save the lost as he died for wrongful deeds salvation's plan we can receive just trust believe for the lord has made a way our savior died on calvary's tree rose again so all could see eternal life he offers you he'll set you free and by his stripes we are healed hallelujah he was abused for our iniquity so if by faith we touch the blood Jesus shed with so much love by his stripes we are healed if we believe and by his stripes we are healed hallelujah he was abused for our iniquity so if by faith we touch the blood jesus shed with so much love by his stripes we are healed if we believe
back to 1 Samuel chapter number 17 tonight. The Lord has not taken uh, that thought off of my heart uh, for this evening. We'll try our best to finish up sort of where we started this morning. And I'll try not to go back and beat a dead horse, but it's, I'll probably go back and cover just a few things that we hit this morning. I think very important as you look at the life of David. I don't know. I've sort of lost count now. Sometimes I do a pretty good job of keeping personal notes of how many messages this is on David, but I don't know if it's five or six, or I'm, I know it's over four, so I don't know if it's number five or number six on the life of David. But we talked about this morning about the battle has just begun. A lot of folks may look, and while you're turning to 1 Samuel 17, a lot of people may look and say, well, all right, well, David killed that giant Goliath, man, the battle's over. But in, in true reality, the battle really had just begun. And uh, we see that, and I, I believe as we look forward, we've looked at his life thus far. You can look at his adolescent years, you can look at his adult years, and then what I would label his ancient years. Of course, his adolescent years, he was watching as a shepherd, then he was warring as a soldier, then he was waiting on the sovereign Lord. Now, here's an important principle that, and of course, I hit on that on Wednesday night in a message, but it's worth hitting. I don't think I said it this morning, but there's times in our life. Now, understand this. God is never inactive. Never. He's always active. But sometimes to us personally or even collectively, not only as an individual, maybe even as a church, you may go through one of those dry seasons. Those dry seasons come, by the way, but sometimes you may get there and it may seem that God is inactive, but He's always active. But sometimes it appears to us that He is inactive. And when that happens, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we'll become overreactive at certain times. Or we'll become impatient, I guess, if you will. And just understand, God is always working. We've got to learn to wait on the will of God. David. For about 15 years from his first anointing in 1 Samuel 16 until the time he became king, I mean, there's some 15 years that have elapsed up to that point. So he spent a lot of his adolescent years transitioning into his adult years waiting on the sovereign Lord. And, of course, you can go to Isaiah 40 and it talks about they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. There's times when you and I get weak and the Lord gives us a formula. We're to wait on the Lord and that will renew our strength. There's other things we could say about that. But then you get into his adult life and he spent a vast majority of his adult life, that David that is, running from Saul. Now, God's already appointed him, the man after his own heart, to be the king of Israel. But he had to wait on that purpose to unfold and the will of God to unfold and during the meantime his adult years he's running for his life I mean he eventually has to go down into Philistine territory down in a place called Ziklag and that's where he found protection from Saul but tonight as we look and we're going to go back over a few things notice chapter number 17 of 1 Samuel I'm going to begin reading a lot of times I'll have you stand I'm not going to do that tonight I didn't this morning I won't tonight but look at verse 54 1 Samuel 17 and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Chapter 18 and verse 1 said, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, 
that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David, and his garments even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed a thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Now let's pray. Father, as we bow God in your presence, Lord, again tonight, saying thank you, Lord, just for the opportunity to meet in this house of worship, God, one more time, just to serve you and to please you. And Father, I thank you for the written word of God. And Lord, I pray for the next few minutes, Lord, you'd captivate hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to every individual under the sound of our voice. God, help me to relay the message you've placed upon our heart for this hour. I pray for that one that may be lost, may be listening for the last time. God, I pray that this hour they'd receive Christ as Savior. I pray for the child of God needs some instruction, needs some rebuke. Lord, needs some help along life's way. God, would you do what's needed and necessary? I ask, Lord, that you'd have the preeminence in this service as we move forward. Help this servant to decrease it. Jesus may be increased and lifted up. We're going to give you thanks in advance for what you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. We've looked this morning, and some of you weren't here this morning. I'm just going to go back briefly. And if you were to go out and to lay out an outline, which oftentimes when I read through the Scripture, that's just the way that I do things, whether I'm reading on a daily devotion or what, a lot of times I'll try to pattern or write down something that, that, that will sort of go together. And I've got to let the Lord speak to me before I can speak to anybody else. As I got to looking at this, and there's ways that you can look at it as I hit this morning. You think about David, there's three main characters in these texts that we've read, three main characters. There's others, but I know Abner was in the midst. But when you think about what I just read, basically you've got Saul, you've got David, and you've got Jonathan. Those three characters. And you look at this, there's a way you can break this down. We could, so we could talk about the identity of David. I mean, basically he's been in obscure. He's been tending his father's sheep on the hillside there just outside of Bethlehem And really nobody knows him And in one day he goes from obscurity to a celebrity And we find him identified as the anointed one, the chosen of God to be king over Israel So we could talk about the identity of David But then we could talk about the loyalty of Jonathan Jonathan was second in command uh, in Israel, if you will His father was king and everybody pretty much knew that that it was going to fall to him. He had that princely robe on. But man, he submitted unto the anointed one. He surrendered unto the anointed one. Boy, we, we closed on that today uh, at the service. Because listen, the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah, literally means.
means the anointed one, the chosen of God. And you and I better submit ourselves to him. We better surrender to him the true way to victory. If you go to West Point, they ain't going to tell you, raise up the white flag. That's the key to victory. But I'm telling you this, when it comes to a relationship with God, having victory in your life, forgiveness of sin, we better learn to submit and surrender our will unto his will. And oh, Jonathan proved his loyalty. So we think about the identity of David, the loyalty of Jonathan, but then the hostility of Saul. We really didn't get into that this morning. We're going to hit it tonight by the help of God. He, he, he Envy began to set up inside of him, and certainly he seen how uh, the ten thousands were ascribed unto David, and the thousands were ascribed unto him, and envy and jealousy began to take over inside his heart, and he became hostile unto King David. Now we look this morning, Galatians will be broken down this way. We see the return of David. Now chapter 17, basically the main theme of that, the giant has presented himself 40 days. All the men of Israel are afraid to go down. But a little shepherd boy had enough God on him to go down there into the valley of Elah and to defeat Oh, Goliath, and he didn't go with the traditional uh, weapons of war. He went with five things, and they all started with S there in that one verse. He took a staff. He took a shepherd's bag, a script. He took five smooth stones and a sling in his hand, and he went down there. But what made the difference was when he slung that thing, it was guided, no doubt, Brother Harold, by the Holy Ghost of God and sunk deep in the forehead of old Goliath. And you know... God even broke the laws of motion. Goliath should have fell backwards when that thing hit him in the head, but the Bible said he fell face first. I believe the unseen hand of God, when that stone hit him, I believe God just pushed him on down. Now, that's Brian's theology. You take that as a grain of thought, but it sure does bless the fire out of me to know that there's an unseen hand at work. And listen, if there's a giant in your life, it might not be a Goliath, but you'll never slay it until you sling it and learn to depend on the power and the arm and the strength of Almighty God. Somebody says, well, preacher, that's a long time ago. God don't work like that no more. Oh, yeah, he does too. Hey, man, his arm hadn't been short that it cannot say. He can still work today. The dependency is too many times we depend upon the arm of our flesh, and we need to learn to depend upon the arm of his spirit, his power, and that's what we ought to do. We see the return, and we see what he had. He had something as he comes back into Jerusalem. He had some evidence. The evidence, what he had, you read the scripture, we just read it. He had a trophy in his hand. It wasn't a fish, it wasn't a big buck, but it was the head of Goliath. As he comes back in and he returns to Jerusalem, he's got the head of Goliath. That's probably pretty gruesome. But understand, here's a man, Goliath, almost 10 feet tall, that has defied the armies of God and the armies of Israel. And David brings this thing back as evidence. And, of course, all the soldiers were on the hillside. They saw the battle. They saw the giant fall. They understood that David did it. But understand this, we see that he come with evidence, but he also came back with equipment. The Bible said in verse number 24 that he took the armor, whose armor? That, that is Goliath's armor, and put it in his so he comes back with evidence. He's got Goliath in his hand. He comes back with equipment, the armor of, of Saul, uh, of, of Goliath. And understand that sword eventually later on you read in 1 Samuel 21, 
It ends up in a place called Nob, the city of Nob. That's where priests would inhabit. And Ahimelech helped David as he was running from Saul. Saul was after his life, and he went down there, and he took that sword because David said, hey, Ahimelech said, well, the only thing basically I got here that I can give you, David, is the sword of the giant. Old David said, man, ain't nothing like that. Now, that's, that, that's not what it says in the King James. It says, there is none like it. But you know what I'm talking about. They ain't none like it. And understand, he, he got that sword, but he come back with evidence. He come back with equipment, but he came back engaged. Now, I'm not going to read it. You can go back to chapter 17, verse number 25. Saul had promised that whoever went down and conquered the giant, Saul was going to uh, basically provide riches unto him, and his household would be free. His father's household would be free. That's why it's important to note here. You say, how do you know David was... Uh, was in obscurity. Now, if you go back to chapter 16, David has already come in. He's become the armor bearer for Saul, and understand this as well. He comes in with that evil spirit comes, and he plays that harp, but he didn't really recognize him. I mean, he'd made contact with David, and, and Jonathan probably had met him as well at some point, but they really didn't know who he was. Why do you say that, preacher? Well, look at verse 55. And when Saul saw David... Go forth against the Philistine. He said unto Abner, and that was his general. That was the armies, uh, 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 or he was uh, over the captain of the host, or the armies of Israel. Abner, whose son is this youth? That's what Saul asked him. Who is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. And the reason he asked whose son are he, because he had already promised that he was going to give his daughter to be married. Married under the one that slain the giant. And that's what happened. Now Saul reneged on that. Merib was supposed to be given unto him later on. We read this morning, I believe about verse number 17, that, that what he did in chapter number 18, he, he, he basically said, listen, he added some conditions unto him marrying his daughter because at this point, at that point, He's already got envy set up inside of him. But we see the return. But then we looked at the relationship of David and Jonathan. We certainly looked at the contrast, and we didn't go in too deep with that, and I won't tonight, but it's worth hitting. There were some contrasts between David and Jonathan. David was the youngest of the sons, according to the Word of God. Jonathan was the oldest son of Saul. David was the son of a farmer. Jonathan was the son of a king. Now, Jonathan was expected by everybody to be next in line uh, to rule in the reign in Israel. Everybody recognized that robe that he had on him. It was distinct from anybody else in the kingdom. Make no mistake about that. That's why it's important when you see Jonathan taking that thing off and laying it on David. He's acknowledging that he's the anointed one. He's acknowledging that he's the chosen of God. And he lays what is precious to him on the anointed one. And listen. I don't know what's holding you back. I don't know what's keeping you from getting saved. I don't know what's keeping you from really fully surrendering unto the Lord and serving fully. But listen, it'll be worth whatever that is holding you back to putting it on the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've seen there was some knitting. Now, that knitting, of course, the Bible said their hearts were knit together. That means to bind and to tie together or to join together, if you will. 
There was also some kneading, K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G, like kneading dough. All those ingredients are worked together. Jonathan and David made a covenant one with another. They loved one another as their own soul. So there was kneading, there was kneading, but then there was knowing. See, Jonathan knew, I believe he realized, because the Bible said in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit beareth witness that we are the children of God. Although there were some contrasts, these two men, David and Jonathan, stood out in their generations. You can go back to 1 Samuel 14, and you'll see where, where Jonathan was dependent upon the Lord in battle. Chapter 17, and verse number 25, I believe it is, verse 45, you'll see where David was dependent upon the Lord as he faced Goliath. There was a lot of similarities, but I believe that old Jonathan knew who David was. And it's interesting. You look in chapter 17. Saul offered the armor unto David, and he put it on him. And the Bible said he essayed to go. In other words, he put it off. He said, I, uh, he said, I've not proved them. He put it off. He wouldn't take that. But you know what? Jonathan gave him his armor. And David took it. Look in verse number 4. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe. That was that, that was that signature everywhere he went. Everybody acknowledged him as, as the heir apparent to the throne. Of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. So here he's got the sword. He's got the girdle. He's got this bow. He's got these garments. He's got all this. to listen, he ref- there's a message in there that, that'll probably come at some point or the other. Why in the world did he refuse to take that from Saul? Well, listen, the Bible said, touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, saith the Lord. Amen. Now, that's New Testament theology. But I believe there's a point into that as well. And I understand David was going with what worked. But there's also a message in that. But Jonathan was of a clean heart. He was of a pure heart. He was surrendered and submitted unto the will of God. And he took this. So we see the relationship. You see the return. You see the relationship of David and Jonathan. And by the time you get done with verse number 2, it never gets any better uh, for Saul and David, because look in verse number 2, And Saul took him that day, that's David, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Everything was great right here between Jonathan, Saul, and David. But things changed quickly. And don't tell me that music don't play a part. Don't tell me that music can't alter your mind. Because it will, son. Yeah, man, this country garbage, <laughs> I'm telling you, I wouldn't give you 10 cents for that stuff. Yeah, man. You get choked up on that stuff and come to the house of worship. You can't worship because there's so much filth inside of you, man. You can't worship God. And listen to the rock and all that other mess. I'm telling you, there's power in music. It will affect your mind. It will affect your actions. You listen to somebody drinking all the time, they're going to be long, you're going to be drinking. You listen to somebody cheating all the time, they're going to be long, you're going to be cheating. Take about somebody lying, you're going to be lying all the time. Amen. Well, notice here. The reaction of the people. Now, we didn't hit on none of that this morning. We're going to hit it tonight. Look with me in verse number 5. The reaction of the people. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. So everything that Saul wanted him to do, David went out and he behaved himself wisely. He didn't usurp authority at all. He understood his place. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. There was advancement. Almost everywhere David went, 
God advances him. I mean, God blesses him and God helps him along the way. Again, he goes from obscurity to being a celebrity. And everywhere he goes out, he's behaving himself wisely. He's got the Spirit of God on him. He's being successful. Saul acknowledges that. The kingdom's being blessed by it. So he advances him and puts him over the men of war. Now listen, he was not very old at this particular time. But he had a, he had a certain seasoning upon him. He had that special anointing of God. God. Again, Samuel had anointed him in his father Jesse's house. So you got advancement. But not only that, you got amusement. Look with me in verse 6. It came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. So here they come back from the battle. And man, all the women come out. They're singing. They got music. And and yeah, there's some amusement there. They're singing, they're dancing, and, and we see that unfolding. You see the advancement of David. You see the amusement of, as they come back from battle. But notice the acclaim that was given. It was not given too much unto Saul. You say, preacher, why, why do you think that, that, that songs are so powerful? Watch this verse 7. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his ten thousands. Or has slayed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. <laughs> That's the words of the song. You say, well, uh, it's just a song. It ain't going to bother nobody. I tell you, it bothered one man. <laughs> bothered him bad. Oh, David, it probably, won, it probably went in one ear and out the other. I mean, that's probably pretty nice to hear. I mean, he comes back in, and God's been on him. He's over the men of the war, and, and the women are singing. And now they give the acclaim, not unto Saul. They say, well, you know, Saul's slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. Now, David probably slept pretty good. I'll tell you what old Saul did when he laid down there on his bedside. You know what he thought? He was rehearsing that song back through his mind. Don't tell me it didn't happen. He's made out of the same stuff you and I are. He heard about, man, they were singing. David, or I've slain my thousands. And David has slain his ten thousands. And that began to gnaw on him. That began to eat on him. When he finally dozed off way in the wee early hours of the morning, he probably woke up thinking about that was on his mind. Man, Saul was thousands. David is ten thousands. I told you there's power in songs. I, I've shared this with you before back at her funeral home many years ago. Down here there's a there's a guy that from up in Ohio and they didn't have anybody to preach his funeral. The guy at Friendship is passionate at the time. The funeral home called and said, Well, hey, and there was some family there in friendship, the guy that had died, and asked the pastor, said, Will you would you preach the, the funeral? And the preacher said, Man, I ain't I don't know him, I ain't preached him. So they called me and said, well, you, do you know this fellow? I said, I don't know who he is, but I said, yeah, I'll go. I'll preach the gospel. So I went, and I went down, and I, and, I, and man, I, I'm telling you, I had a, they handed me a list. of, And it's, you always want, I always try to proofread. But son, we're walking in the back of the chapel down here at, at the Huff Funeral Home. That's when Richard Huff was still down there. We come in the back of the church, or back of the chapel. And as soon as we did, one of the ladies handed me a, a, a notebook piece of paper that was written in cursive. And when she got to the end of the lines, it was wrapped up, just like this. I said, well, you read this. I mean, I didn't have a chance. Well, I did. I mean, by the grace of God, I read it as I went through. But he had already told me that they wanted ACDC back in black. 
played. And I said, well, listen, let's don't do that till I get done. I said, please, let me just get out of the sanctuary or out of the chapel and you do whatever you got to do. I ain't got the authority to tell them not to. Now, listen, we weren't in the church. We was in a funeral home. Well, I got my hand on the door. Many of you have been at, our funeral, at the funeral. As you look in, you face the pulpit on the right-hand side. That's where they let, they let the, the, the pallbearers go out, and that's where the preacher goes out, and that's where the casket rolls out. I got my hand on the door, and they started it. Closed the door on the outside, and I could still hear it. Now I'm going to the graveside, and all I can think is, is about the words that. So don't tell me, I say all that to say this, don't tell me that songs are not powerful because they are. And here is old Saul. He says, well, they're singing that David, or I've, I've slain my thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. Now, keep in mind, David, and I'm going somewhere with this. I, I, I'm really in an area where I wasn't planning on getting, but here we are. David has come from obscurity. Nobody knows about him, but now he's a celebrity. Now, David, as, as, as he hears this, keep in mind, he's just left his, his flock out there. Now, Brother Harold, here's what happened. If you'll read in 1 Samuel 17, the Bible said there was a lion and a bear that come and had got one of the little sheep. And David said he called him by the chin or the beard. He didn't go for the tail, man. He, he went after the juggler. David did. And when he slain the, the lion, when he slain the bear, his audience said, Bah. Bah. When the little sheep fell in the hole and, and stumbled his leg and he went over there by himself and picked it up, all he got was, Bah. That's the recognition he got. Now he comes into town. He's got the evidence. He's got the equipment. He's got the engagement to be married, to be the son-in-law to the king. He know, we know that the, the relationship of him and Jonathan, they were knit together. They were kneading just like dough that was mixed together and entwined. Uh, Jonathan was knowing he laid that robe upon him. Now he comes into town. And they ain't, uh, but they're saying, man, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands. You know something tonight? Some people can handle adversity. Now stay with me. I'm going somewhere. This ain't in the notes, but I'm going somewhere right here. Some people can handle adversity. What do you mean, preacher? Well, I've seen marriages that were on the rocks and folks get hooked up to God and boy, they're faithful to the house of God. They get in their Bible, they're faithful to their prayer life and, and they come in with, with, with brokenness. I've seen folks that have lost jobs and boy, they yoke up to God and they get to the house of God. They, they pray fervently, they read their Bible. I've seen all that take. I've seen folks in financial crisis say, man, how in the world am I going to get out? And they run to the altar and they come to the house of God seeking God's face. You see, that adversity draws them closer under the Lord and the dependence. But I've also seen that same crowd, God put that marriage back together. Now all of a sudden, man, you know, I'm pretty successful now. I don't really need God like I used to. They start skipping out on church. Start skipping out on praying. Start skipping out on reading God's Word. 
You see, they handled adversity, but they couldn't handle success. That same crowd that lost their job. Oh, God, give me a job. And then God gives them a job. Gives them a good career. And now they stand out of church a little more. Getting out of their Bible a little bit more. Getting out of, out of prayer life a little bit more. Why? They can handle adversity, but they couldn't handle success. Was a time, man, finances were tight, and boy, we depended on you, Lord. But you know now, we're, we're sort of, and that's where the church in America is. Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 17, the church in Laodicea, we are increased with goods that have need of nothing. God said, knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Get his boy, I don't need God anymore. Look at all the resources. Look at all the riches I've got. You see, adversity, people, some folks can handle adversity, but they can't handle success. You know what the Bible said about David? David behaved himself wisely. Ain't that what it said? Look at verse number 5. David behaved himself wisely. See, David handled success. You see, what will happen if you're not careful? You say, well, I can handle adversity. Then somebody maybe get to bragging on you or just saying a, a good thing. If you're not careful, you'll get puffed up. <laughs> yeah, man. Now, now go flip back. We over here meddling now. We can flip back to chapter 15 a minute if I can find it. I know it's in there, chapter 15. Saul, we know, was man's choice. But at 1 Samuel 15, I want you to get this now. This was God's complaint unto Saul. 1 Samuel 15 and verse number 17. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. Did you get that? God said by his man of God, Samuel, When thou wast little in thine own sight. In other words, God used you when you were little in your own sight. But you couldn't handle success. Amen. There's folks today that can handle adversity. They'll learn a greater dependence on God, but when they get a little bit of success, they forget about the Lord, and they start depending on the arm of it, and that's a dangerous thing, by the way. That ain't in the notes, but that, that's it, and that, that'll preach, man. When it comes here to the reaction of the people, there was advancement of David, but the Bible said in verse 5 of chapter 18 that he behaved himself wisely. There was the amusement of the women getting their, 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 their harps and their music together and their singing, but then the acclaim didn't go to Saul, it went to David. Well, what happened, preacher? Well, it caused a rift. <laughs> it caused a rift. You see the return, see the relationship of Saul or Saul and David and Jonathan. Verse 2, it didn't ever get any better. You see the reaction of the people. Now you see the rift that Saul has against David. Look with me in verse 7. I'm trying my best to wrap this up. Look at verse 7. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. So don't tell me he wasn't thinking about it. He heard every word. And what can he, that day being David, what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Now, here this rift that is going on, there's two things I believe took place in verse 8 and verse number 9. 
Verse number 8, I believe Saul envied David. Verse number 9, the Bible tells that Saul eyed, E-Y-E-D, eyed David. In other words, he, he watched his every move, making for, watching for him to slip and to fall. But that's not the last, last time that you see David behaving himself wisely, as it is said in verse number 5. But the eyes of Saul were upon him. But Saul was displeased. Now, why is he displeased? Because he can't handle that David is getting more publicity. A little fellow that was in obscurity just a day or two ago, now he's become a celebrity. Saul has killed his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. You know, and it shouldn't take us by surprise because envy is still around today. It sure is. Well, what is, what is envy? Did you know that envy is to think or to show ill toward another? Gracie said, that's right. Praise the Lord. It's to think or to show ill will toward another. You know, you'll never be envious over somebody that's behind you in the race. <laughs> you'll never be envious over somebody that's probably got an older car. Now, listen, I seen a former pastor today down at South Hospital, and I got to talk to him, and he come in in a 66 Ford Mustang. And it was, it was like a green color, and it sounded pretty good, but it didn't have air conditioner, man. He's right. I mean, it, you know, it was hot. But most times, somebody that's got an older car, you ain't too envious of somebody that's got an older car. Older house. Old, older four-wheeler. Amen. Not as good a job as you got. Don't make as much money as you make. Amen. You just don't get too envious of folks like that. You let somebody just get a little leg up a little bit. And if you're not careful, envy... <laughs> will come your way. Amen. Now listen, we, we made out of the same stuff. Think about this. Shouldn't take us by surprise. You know, you know what caused Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Genesis 37, verse number 9. And he, that being Joseph, dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon. Now he's talking about his mom and dad when he's talking about the sun and the moon. And the eleven stars, that's his eleven brethren, made obeisance to me. In other words, they bowed down unto me. Mom and dad, you're going to bow down to me one day. Eleven brothers, you're going to bow down to me. He dreamed this dream. Verse 10, Genesis 37. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? Well, certainly Joseph had got that vision of him being down in Egypt sustaining life, and God's providential hand was all over that thing. But listen to verse 11 of Genesis 37. And his brethren, that's 11 of them, envied him, but his father observed the saying. Now that envy to think or to show ill will toward another was running through that train of that thought process. They were just looking for the opportunity. Then finally those men came by and, and they were sold. And to see their father took that coat of many colors off and killed a kid, dipped it in blood, and said, well, we found this coat. We don't know what happened to her brother. I guess he was devoured by a wild beast, knowing full well that they had sold him into slavery. Or to start with, it started with envy, to think, or to do ill will toward another. Think about this. We, we, we think about the prodigal son. 
We talk about the prodigal that left and came home. What about the elder brother? <laughs> what about the elder son? What caused him to get all bent out of shape? I'll tell you what it was. It was envy. The Bible said in Luke chapter number 15 and verse number 20, And he, that's the prodigal, when he arose and came to his father, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Boy, I, I, let me just stop and say this ain't the message, but i got to hit it. It's good to know, don't matter how far you drift away from God, you can come back and, and there's some great principles, there's some great applications there. The father was a looking for, because when he was a great ways off, he recognized that was his son that was coming home. Listen, I'm telling you, thank God you don't get saved at one time, that there's times when you can backslide on God, and you can get a little cold on God, and you can get away from God, but I'm here to tell you on the authority of the Word of God, if you'll just come back to Him, there's a God in heaven that'll move in compassion, and He'll already knows where you are and he's looking for you to come home that old prodigal comes back and here he comes back to the house and the Bible said in verse 21 of Luke 15 and the son said unto him father I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son but the father said to his service bring forth the best robe <laughs> and put it on him he, I mean he's restored back into full fellowship and he put a ring on his hand and shoes, on his feet. And bring here the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And if we stopped right there, we said, boy, that's, that's wonderful. But there was somebody else in the house, Brother Matt. It's called the eldest son. The Bible said in verse 25, Now his elder son was in the field. As he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. He said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. He answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son, he didn't even say that's my brother, he said, when your boy comes, that's how, that's how upset he's got. This thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. <laughs> what's got into him, Brother Harold? I'll tell you what's got into him. It's called envy. It's called envy. To think and to do ill will toward another. Envy has set up even the Lord Jesus. Remember him as he is arrested. He went through those sham of those trials. Came before Pilate on three different occasions. And Pilate examined him three times. Three times. Couldn't find any fault in him either one because there wasn't any fault in the sinless Son of God. Well, why did they keep bringing him unto Pilate? Well, the Bible tells us. In Matthew 27 and verse number 17, Pilate said unto the Jews that day, whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. That's why Christ was delivered up for envy. Folks thought and eventually done ill will toward him. And that's what Saul tried to do unto David. And it shouldn't take us by surprise. Envy is a dangerous thing. The scripture said in Proverbs 14, 30, a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness 
of the bones. You see, that song got into his head, Brother Evan. When he laid, I'm talking about Saul, that is, when he laid down, he heard about the thousands that were ascribed to him, but he remembered the ten thousands that was ascribed unto David. He began to think and to do ill will toward David. Now, just read in chapter number 18. Chapter 18, along right after this, he gets a javelin and wants to stick David to the wall. And there, there's, I preached a message one time on that. There's a danger of not moving. Do you know that? There's a danger of not moving. Now, we're going on another rabbit trail right here. I'm trying to quit. There's a danger of not moving. When God deals with your heart, there's a danger just sitting still. And that old thing was coming his way. He moved and escaped out of the way. There's a danger of not moving. I often said it's not Bible, but there's a good principle there. The idle ground is a devil's playground. If he had stood still, he'd have got nailed to the wall. But he escaped out of the way. But, but Saul tried to destroy him and devastate him with that javelin a little bit later on. See, Merib was supposed to be given unto David for him killing Goliath. Then Saul begins to add unto that, Well, if you'll be a vilely valiant man for me, if you'll go out and fight the Lord's battle, then I'll give you my daughter with well, some time elapsed. And Merib was given unto another man. Well, then it come to find out that Michael loved David and, and Saul heard about it. So Saul, did, he couldn't get him with a javelin to destroy him. So he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just deceive him. Let him fall to the hands of the Philistines. He said, now, David, now listen. I know you've been a valiant, valiant man, and, and you fought all the Lord's battle. You've already proved yourself by killing Goliath. But listen, I, there's one thing. I, I, to bring this dower, to bring this money into me, for you to be my son-in-law, I want a hundred four. Look at it. In chapter 18, verse 25, he said, I want a hundred four skins of the Philistines, the enemies of God. Now, in order to do that, he was going to have to kill a hundred men. So Saul thought, you know what, I'm just going to say, hey, if you want to marry my daughter, you've got to go kill these hundred, thinking that David would be killed. But remember, the Spirit of God's on David. <laughs> the hand of the Lord, he's the chosen of God. He's the anointed of God. He was immortal until God was done with him. Do you know, by the way, that you and I are immortal until God is done with us? Now listen, I could go home tonight. You could go home tonight. We're going home one day, but there ain't nothing the devil can do to touch me or to touch you if it ain't in the will of God. And here he goes. Down through there, I don't even know where I was going. Where was I at? Oh, yeah, yeah, he said, you're going down to the hundred. I need a hundred foreskins. Well, old David went down. He didn't get a hundred. He doubled that. He got two hundred foreskins and brought it back. Well, what was the intention? Saul wanted to destroy him with that javelin, wanted to deceive him and to see him fall at the hands of the enemy. Well, where was all that birthed out of? I'll tell you what it was birthed out of. It was birthed out of that song that burned in his head. You know, you know how many killings you interview some of those folks down there in the prison house, state penitentiary, I'm talking about the rough house. Those that went out and committed rape and murder and all this stuff. A lot of them get high on alcohol or high on drugs and they get to listen to that old jungle beat music. It empowers them to get in a frenzy and a rage. Don't tell me. That music ain't important, because it is. <laughs> we harp on it. 
We preach on it. As long as God will give me breath, I'm going to preach on it till the day that I die. Because it alters a man's mind. It alters a woman's mind. And it altered Saul. He heard it. And then envy was birthed out of that. And you know, here's the key. Sister Spanner, you come on. That'll hurry me up. David, don't miss this now. David is the anointing. What did Jonathan do? Jonathan received him. He acknowledged David for who he was, and he received him. But you know what Saul did? Saul rejected the anointed one. Amen. He rejected him. There's a great application to you and I as well. What will we do? Will we receive the anointed one, the Lord Jesus? Again, that word anointed, that's the chosen of God. That's Messiah. In the New Testament, Jesus was the anointed one. We have the opportunity to receive him or reject him. Oftentimes we ask the question, Brother Randy, what will you do with Jesus? And that's a good question to answer. And you better be able to answer. I ain't talking to your neighbor. I ain't talking to your child. I'm talking to every individual here. What will I do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? But think about this question. What will Jesus do with you? <laughs> what will Jesus do with me? Well, I tell you, if you're lost and done without God, you'll end up in a place called hell. There ain't no excuse for going because Jesus, by his stripes, thank God, the sacrificial death, he paid a way that we can be forgiven of all of our sin. All I got to do is receive it by faith. But if you reject it, the Bible still said in Hebrews 2 and verse number 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? But here's a rift that Saul has had. He's rejected the anointed one. I beg you tonight, don't reject the anointed one. There's a lot of principles. There's a lot of things that, that we can learn from this message tonight. I hope it's been helpful. I, I didn't come tonight to be ugly or to be mean-spirited. I came to preach the truth of God's Word. Boy, I need it. We all need it. And there's a lot of areas that we hit tonight. But when you look at the life of David, surely the battle's over. I mean, Goliath, for 40 days, he has came down and, and he's defied the armies of God. Now the giant's dead. Surely the battle's over. No, 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 no. The battle has just begun. What I've learned in the Christian life, hey, you might have a great victory today. <laughs> there's another battle coming tomorrow. Once you get another victory, there's another battle coming on the horizon. We've got to stay close to the Lord. Tonight, can you handle adversity? Oh, preacher, I can handle adversity. Can you handle success? God knows what we can handle. We've got to learn to have a greater dependence upon him. David behaved himself wisely. That could fit to the child of God today. You know what I, I want my testimony to be? I behave myself wisely. I want you to behave yourself wisely. Now, do I always do that? No. Hello, I give in this to certain things. But listen, we ought to behave ourselves wisely as David. Tonight as we stand in all over the house of Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m., with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat-and-meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's Holy Word. 
Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you are loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Romans 10:9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10:13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. You might say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, and if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them, if you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.